Great things are not done by impulse, but by a series of small things brought together. Vincent Van Gogh What is the language of leadership? It is the skills, traits, lessons learned, communications, and inspirations of leaders. The Language of Leadership podcast will help you develop the successful tools renowned leaders have discovered and have used effectively, sharing with you how to be the leader you desire to be and the leader your team will desire to follow. Now, here's your host, Chuck Marting. This week's guest is Mike Kim. Mike is a brand strategist for business thought leaders, coaches, and authors who want to create impact with their ideas and get their message heard. Mike's refreshing approach has made him a sought-after speaker, online educator, and consultant for top thought leaders. His clients include New York Times bestselling authors, experts featured on PBS, TED, CNN, and Fox. Mike is the author of Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller, You Are the Brand. He has been featured in and written for Inc., Entrepreneur, and The Huffington Post. He has spoken at industry-leading events, including Social Media Marketing World, Tribe Conference, and Podcast Movement. Now, our interview with Mike Kim. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of The Language of Leadership. I'm your host, Chuck Marting, and today I have a special guest with us, um, Mike Kim. Mike has uh, been an inspiration to me and somebody that I've followed for quite a while, and uh, I was fortunate to have him on another podcast that I do clearing the haze and it was one of our most listened to episodes and so I, I had to ask Mike to come back so Mike thanks for being here oh it's an honor it's always good to talk to you I use the pen that you gave me uh all the yeah. time so yeah man I got um, isn't that a cool pen it is it is so just so everyone knows Chuck got me a pen um to just congratulate me on all the things especially last year I had the book launch and all that so I appreciate it. I've been using it and you did not know this, but like those roller pens and felt like um, whatever the, the gel pens. Uh huh. That's what I used. It's not you know these big pens. It's got to be an easy flowing ink pen, which yours is. So yeah. thank you, and yeah. it had my name on it. Like yeah. how could I lose it? Yeah, can't lose it. That's a friend of mine here in Boulder that uh, he makes mm -hmm. those all by hand, and so each yeah. pen is so unique. Um, so yeah, so somebody that was a writer and somebody that was going to use, I knew that'd be something that, that would really resonate for you and, and something you would use. So I'm glad that it's, it's well received. Thank you. Um, Mike, you know, one of the things that I've done and the, one of the inspirations for doing this podcast is all the many leaders that I've come in contact with. Um, I've seen some that are just starting off. I've seen some that have been in business or been in leadership for years that have just, they, they have no direction. They really don't know where they're going and they can't really tell you what the qualities of a good leader are. And so that was the inspiration for this podcast that, that because I don't think there's just one system out there that um, will work for everyone. I think it's a combination of a lot of different things. And it was like I was taught a long time ago, leaders are not born, they're trained. And I, I truly believe that. And so one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, you know, with you being in leadership yourself, what what has influenced you as a leader or what has inspired you as a leader? Yeah, um, this might be a little bit 
different than when most people say? I mean, I certainly understand leader. If someone's answered this question, they might say, well, decisiveness and vision and charisma and blah, blah, blah. And I get that. All that's important. I think for me, what I look for in a leader is self-awareness, nice. um, is empathy. Can they understand other people? Not just feel bad for them. Can they identify with them? Um, usually people who lack empathy do not are not self-aware because they don't know how to feel something themselves. And if they can't feel that themselves, it's hard for them to feel it for other people, right? If you are not compassionate with yourself, it's going to be hard to empathize with someone who's going through a difficult time. And so um, I look for that. I look for trust. Some people ask, what's the quickest way? What's, what's the quickest way to build trust? Do not lie. They're really easy, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> over time, right? Um, but I think trust is becoming one of those bigger quotients that's being measured now in leaders. Um, there's a guy out there named David Horsiger who talks a lot about this, you know, trust in leadership. That's actually, it's not influence. That's the prevailing currency in leadership. Really, it's trust. and. Mm. You can see this at play on a bigger scale, obviously, with brands. I work in branding a lot. Mm -hmm. um, you can see it with politics or their, the lack of you know, trust that people have. Um, even generationally, um, people don't tend, some don't trust the younger people. The younger people don't trust the older people politically. Right? They don't trust one side or the other, the media. So what's binding all this together, what's tying all this together is this idea of trust. And I don't think that's actually really talked about very much. So that's what I look for. Do, do people trust this person? Are they trustworthy? Um, is what people say about them in the back channels good? Mm. You know, sometimes gossip is good if it's good gossip. But most of the time, it's bad. Did you hear what so-and-so did? You know, that's terrible. I can't believe they did that. Um, but that's what I look for, trust. Well, I, I found a lot of times, especially for those that have never been in a leadership position, it's very hard to try and figure out what your role is, especially when a lot of times you're not given any training or taught anything or have a mentor to teach you how to be a leader. You're just, you're a great employee, so we're going to put you in this position you're going to do well. And mm -hmm. then that guy or gal walks into the lunchroom and everybody stops talking. It's the mm -hmm. same people that you were just with gossiping. before. Yeah. All of a sudden, like you just said, gossiping or, or they're talking about that guy right now. So I think it's a difficult thing if you don't know where to turn and where to look for things. And so I, I, I like what you're saying about trust and, and building that trust with people. Cause I think that's, the number one thing that, that you should be able to do or at least convey that to the people that you're leading, that you can be trusted mm -hmm. and that you're looking out for their best interests. Um, you know, one of the things that I really liked, uh, I liked your book quite a lot. You are the brand. And I gave out 15 copies um, at our, it was the e-copies. I did 15 of those with the last podcast. I'm going to give out some this on this podcast as well. And I think that it's one of those books that um, you'll go back to and you'll listen to again um, because there was so much information in there for me the first time. I had to go back to digest it a second time. 
Um, but there was one thing that you had in there um, that I wanted to talk to, talk about because the minute I read it, I, I smiled and it resonated with me. And that was um, PB3 or, you know, what it is and, and how it affects people and what PB, PB3 stands for personal brand. Um, and I, can you explain it? Because I think you explain it's going to be a lot better than myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, what, what I do, uh, just for everyone to understand is I help, I help people market, um, their ideas, right? So I market people and their ideas and it's hard to market someone and their ideas. If you don't really have an idea of what their perspective is on a particular issue. So. A lot of times, at least in my industry, like folks are trying to, you know, like Chuck, you did start a podcast or, or go out there, be a professional speaker, become a coach. And they're just kind of repeating the same things that everyone else is saying. And I think that's okay in the beginning because, you know, success leaves clues and we all learn by learning from others and having that modeled. Modeling is a big deal. But at some point, you've got to have a very, very clear perspective on something. And so the first step that I try to walk people through is to establish a point of view. What are your views on this particular issue? I mean, think about politicians. That's what people ultimately want to know. What are your views on this, 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 or that? You've got to pick a side, right? You've got to pick a side. The ones who don't, um, whether you agree completely with the side or not, the ones who don't get forgotten. It's a very counterintuitive thing. Now, running for office is very different than leading an organization, you know, leading people. But you still have to have a certain point of view. I think about the bosses that I had and what their point of view was. And the PB3, the personal brand three, are three questions that are designed to pull out your point of view. So the three questions are what pisses you off, what breaks your heart, what's the big problem you're trying to solve? If I think of one boss that I had, it, his his what pisses him off is that his workers aren't working hard enough. <laughs> and what breaks his heart is he's working just as hard as everybody else. That really broke his heart. You could tell he was a little bit of a self-absorbed guy, right, Chuck? And yep. he was kind of he was kind of self-absorbed, right? And what's the big problem he's trying to solve? Getting these lazy slugs to do all the work <laughs> that I'm paying them to do. Okay, that's a, that's a perspective. Yeah, right. That that is a point of view. Um, contrast that with someone who says, you know, what pisses me off, um, education isn't available to high school students in order to prepare them for college as extensively as it could be. And what breaks my heart? Like these kids are under tons of pressure to score well on the standardized tests that will get them into college. And they don't believe that they can do it. So what's the big problem I'm trying to solve? Make sure that they do, they train and learn the skills they need to score the best possible score they can earn on this test and go to the best possible school mm -hmm. that they can. Those could be the same leadership role. And I'm, I'm talking about a company I used to work for. And the boss could be that first person. Or we could be the second person. Two totally different perspectives. Same role, different praxis and different like perspective on things. Yeah. And I tell you what, if he was the former and he was not, he was a good guy. He was easy to work with. He 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 
demanded the best from us, which was good. Right. Um, but he got to know us. We went to his house all the time. Like this is when I was working at the scene of the company. Like we, he was very relational in that regard. If he was only the first type of boss, he'd have a lot of churn. He'd have a lot of turnover. And so those three questions, what, what pisses you off? What breaks your heart? What's the big problem you're trying to solve? Um, not what you were hired for. What's the big problem you're trying to solve? Mm. Um, I think those questions can add a lot of clarity and allow relational rapport to to develop and build, you know, with people who work with that particular leader. So, yeah, that's what the PB3 is about. Yeah. And that's what I think really resonated with me was being able to sit back and think of that in, a, in the perspective of what a leader would be. Um, the things that, that are pissing you off as a leader, the things that just break your heart, you know, and um, what the problem is, what are you trying to solve? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it's in, in trying to figure out how you're going to have this resonate with those that you're leading mm -hmm. to get buy-in from them. Because if you don't have buy-in, nobody's going to do it. Um, yeah. But I think it goes back to what you talked about earlier, Mike, where you said there has to be sincerity and, and you have to be truthful because people can spot that a mile away. You, you know, whether or not somebody's doing this because somebody else is telling them to do it and it's a goal that they're setting or they've been told to do this, or is this truly something that this leader is looking at and saying, look, we can take care of this. The only way we're going to be able to take care of this is if we work and do it this way. I, I think that's the difference. One of the early um, lessons I learned in leadership because I was working in uh, I was working at a church, which is take all the religion out of it. A church is a nonprofit organization that is fueled almost entirely by its volunteers. Hmm. You can have a pastor, you can have a priest, you can have some people who are in charge. And yeah, they might make a salary, which is very much like World Vision or some other charity or nonprofit. But by and large, the, the average church, they've only got a handful of people that are paid their salary from the church. Hmm. And one of the most powerful lessons that I learned in leadership, working in that arena for a lot of my life, like I started getting really involved when I was in my mid-teens, up until I was about... 32 years old, you know, 33 years old. I stepped, stepped away from it. And I learned that people vote with their feet and their wallets. <laughs> yeah. Cause that environment, I couldn't bully people into doing things. I couldn't fire them and threaten them if they didn't do what I asked. I had to win their heart. Yeah. Or else we wouldn't have a music team that weekend, or we wouldn't have volunteers to watch the kids. And those are soft skills, leadership skills that I learned that were like very, very important, invaluable. So when I go into, in the time when I was a CMO of the company, um, I was looking at how I related to the other people. And it was actually foreign to me that I could just tell somebody what to do because they worked in our company and mm -hmm. I outranked them. I was like, shouldn't I buy them dinner? Shouldn't we like <laughs> hang out and get to know each other? And I realized some of them don't want to. Yeah. But I maybe, you know, energetically is like some people don't vibe with me, but I don't think anyone would have said like Mike was a, what was an a-hole to me or he treated me bad or, you know, he was just hard to work for or hard to work with. I don't think a lot of people would have said that. 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's because of the lessons that I learned in leadership working in church. Yeah. You had to be nice to people. I mean, yes, there were some leaders in the church world. Well, there's, there's a lot who just guilt trip people and bully them into doing things. I just wasn't one of them, <laughs> you know? So thank <laughs> you yeah. for what it's worth. Right. But that was a big leadership lesson. But that's that, also in, in any workplace that you're going to find that as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think mm-hmm. like you're saying, just because it was a, a church environment doesn't mean it was any different in how, how things were, were working. Other than yeah. you had the volunteer aspect of it. So a lot of us mm-hmm. go into that nine to five or whatever, that position is you're, you're not caught in that nine to five. You're uh, you know, you're, you're having to do that because that's, if you don't, you're, you're not going to be eaten, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no one was like, no one was like trying to knock down our door saying, I want to volunteer for the kids ministry or the Sunday school or, you know, for the music team, we had to go and actively recruit them. And then when they came in and they, they said that I want to help out, I was, like there was, I, I always had the mentality, like these people are giving up two or three free evenings a week mm. to do this. Like they're taking time away from their families, their kids. Like they could be at home watching football and drinking a beer and they'd rather play the drums, you know, for six hours on the weekend. Like I should remember that they have lives outside. Of I remember telling my boss that he was the senior pastor of the church. He was definitely a narcissist and I, don't have a problem saying that <laughs> he was nice to me because I got results. Yeah. And that's the funny thing. Like I, but I was always able to parse the two. And I remember he would be like, well, we need more people or please push more people. I'm like, pastor Dave, people have a life outside of our church. He looked at me like I had three heads. He's like, do you think I don't know that? I was like, no, I don't really think you do. Cause you're a narcissist and you, you can't empathize with anyone. And this thing is your whole life. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it was, <clears throat> I mean, I would say that to his face today <laughs> because when I look back on the kind of, you know, work that we had to do and the, the expectations, like it was a lot, you know? And so what did people do on paid staff relationships with him? I stepped away um, at the end of 2011 within, um, within two years over 50% of the staff that I worked with had quit. Wow. That says something. Yeah. And I'm not saying that I led the charge out the door. I was like health, I had healthy relationships with those people. I'm like, this leadership structure is crazy. I don't know what you guys are doing here. Peace out. I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like that. I'm like, I'm leaving. If this is no good. Like peace out. Yeah. Like, you guys can stay. You're from here originally have at it. But within, within two years, 50 over 50 percent we're out wow so like yeah i mean that says something right yeah well there's there's that one question that you mentioned in your book um that uh you're the brand that says that where you're kind of looking at this guy in, in his office and you you said you know if all goes well do i want this guy's life in 15 years and i i resonated with that because I had something similar in my career. And I think everybody comes to that cross crossing path where they, they sit there and they wonder, you know, do I want, or where am I going to be in five years, 10 years down the road? Is it going to be similar to this or better? Um, Mm -hmm. How does, how does that affect 
a person and, and what should they do at that point? What, what is it that they need to look at to figure out if they stay or they go? I think it depends on the age and stage of life that you're in. And so what I mean by that is this, that when I wrote about that time in my life, I, I was looking at it from a professional standpoint. Do I want this guy's job mm-hmm. in 10 or 15 years? You know, um, versus I was, let's see, um, let's see, I was like early 30s at the time. I met that guy, I was 30, 31 years old. And I said to myself, if I wait around 10 to 15 years and my life turns out like this guy, would I be happy? And so he was, just for context, he was a guy who was working at a church that was a hundred times bigger than my literally. Okay. Like they had 20,000 members in the church. Wow. It's crazy. Um, he had my job. Uh, our church had like 500, right? Maybe a thousand, whatever. It was 20 times larger than ours. And I met him in Colorado Springs. That's where he was based. And I looked at the facilities, Chuck, and I looked at this guy's life. And I was like, do I even want this in 15? Like, let's say it's guaranteed in 12, 15 years. Do I want this? And I said, no. And I was looking at it primarily through the lens of my occupation. I'm that guy's age now. (laughs) So I'm 44 now. I was 31 then. This guy, I think when I met him, was just 45. Basically, I was basically his age now. I can't imagine at this age doing what I did when I was 31. But now, if you ask me that, Mike, where do you want to be in 10 years? I don't think about it professionally. I think about it through the lens of who am I as a person? Am I more empathetic? We started off kind of talking about that. Am I kind? Have I given time that I had to do things that were important to the people I, I love. Did I spend in 10 years, I want to be spending more time with my loved ones, not less. I want to be more empathetic and more kind, not less. Mm. That's the way that I look at it. Um, I think in our earlier years and early is relative, right? Age or stage in life. Yeah. But early our in life, our primary operating system is ego. Mm. We want to look good. We want to accomplish a certain thing. We might X amount of money, X, you know, a certain kind of influence, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. It's driven by how you look to the people around you so that you get some sense of approval and you feel important. You feel accomplished. And that's important. I'm not saying that that's bad. That's important. I get it. It's what we're conditioned to live with. But somewhere, dude, I don't know. I don't know when it happens. I think it's different for everybody. Our primary operating system shifts to the soul. Mm-hmm. And we care more about, am I happy? Am I living at a higher frequency in life? Am I becoming a better person? Do I like the person that I see in the mirror? Do I respect that person? Um, and that becomes our primary operating system. And I can't say this yet because I haven't reached this point in life, but there's a lot of smart people, smarter than I am and more experienced in life who say that, well, towards the end of your life, your primary uh, primary operating system becomes something along the lines of, I am what survives me. Mm. Yeah. Whether it's kids, whether it's a book, maybe that you write, right? 
maybe it's other family members. I don't have kids yet. I don't know if I ever will. Who knows? But my nephews will outlive me. My friends' kids, who I, I'm like their uncle, will outlive me, I think. You know, so can I pour into them and 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 say that when they're my age, like I had this guy, Uncle Mike, he was really good to me, blah, 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 right? And I think when you don't do, when we don't understand these these things, and here's the danger, we we live by the rules of a younger age, that's when we get into trouble. So you'll meet these people who are 75 years old, 80 years old. They've got all the money in the world, but they're still operating through ego. When they lose the company or they're kicked off the board, they can't, it's like their life ended. And the rest of us don't understand. Yeah. The rest of us, even if we're like just run of the mill, regular Joe people, we're way happier than that guy because we've changed our operating system to the soul. We are like, you know what? I had a great weekend. I saw two of my best friends. I played with their kids, you know, and we just went out for ice cream and pizzas and watched some football. It was amazing. And yet I can come back on Monday and kill it at work, but I'm happy. Yeah. We don't understand that. So, you know, ego, soul, and then I am what survives me. I don't think a lot of leaders understand this. And we also don't understand that our team members or our employees or the people that we're responsible to lead are going through this as well. Requires a lot of empathy. It does. And I totally agree with you. Um, when you were talking, one of the things that just came to mind is, and I think that you would probably be very good at explaining this or why, how an individual would go about doing this. And that is, I've met a lot of people, myself included, that are trying to get to the point where we have a self-managed company where I have other mm -hmm. people that are in play, that are on my team, that are able to do things that need to be done. But it leaves me to focus on the things that I truly love to do and want to spend my time doing. I'm still part of the organization. I can still come back and be used for certain things. But I want to get to that point where, you know what, if I want to be gone for three weeks, I can leave for three weeks and come back and the business is still here. The employees are still getting along. Everything is working well. How would you suggest an individual work their way towards something like that uh, and to be able to achieve it. I think one of the most helpful frameworks I've seen, and this isn't mine, I don't talk about this in the book, but um, so this is extra, right? Um, <laughs> Robert Kiyosaki, who wrote the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, came out with a book, either the next one or the one thereafter called Cashflow Quadrant. And, it's a very simple principle, and he talks about there's four ways to generate cash flow in this world. E, S, B, I. E is an employee. S is self-employed. B is a business owner. And I is investing. So employed, self-employed, business owner, and investing, an investor. Most people confuse, at least in my industry, being self-employed with owning a business. They're not the same thing. Most of the people I coach are self-employed. They think they're business owners, but they're not. Hmm. And so the journey that you just described is moving from the S quadrant to the B quadrant. In the self-employed employed situation, you are doing most of the work. And if you take off work, work stops. Revenue stops. All that jazz. When you're a business owner, 
you are using other people's energy and other people's time. And yet it's generating you money. Now that can be as, uh, you know, generically speaking as like owning 10 Burger King franchises. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a lot of work and a lot of money to get those franchises up and running. But once you do, it's just maintenance and you can hire people to run that Burger King. The owner of that franchise does not work at the restaurant typically, at least if they're doing it right. Because they bought a system. Burger King or McDonald's is a system. They're not selling hamburgers. They're selling a system. Mm. Right. So when we're self-employed, and I've found this a lot, if I'm doing the things that someone else can do and can be repeated and trained for, then I'm not, I'm out of my zone of genius. I'm not doing what I can do. As a self-employed business, I still have to work. Like, dude, if I stop doing podcasts like this and stop running coaching groups and stop creating content, eventually the business will come to a crawl. There are a lot of dead people who are still making a lot of money because their books continue to sell, right? <laughs> Jim Rohn, you know, yeah. Zig Ziglar. But guess what? Someone's still doing work. Mm. It's guys like me who are talking about their books. Someone That business still requires energy. Mm. It's just other people's energy and other people's time. So um, I started to really look at, and I had a great, integrator chelsea brinkley i talk about chelsea all the time we still work together all all these years and she handles that side of things she hires the people we need if i find someone i think that could work i tell her about it you know she kind of runs the day-to-day that i need for my business and she set up systems that allow us to do that at some point i can step away I still have to record the videos, but someone else can do the editing. Someone else can publish it. And as recently as June, uh, this past year, 2022, I took five or six weeks off from work at it in one shot. Didn't miss a beat. We had a dip in income because I wasn't working, but other systems were running enough to make up for that. And I'm going to do it again in December. I do it. I'm going to do it June and December every year. I'm going to just take a month off. I'm like, this is great. (laughs) Right. So that's kind of where like it started Chuck with systems. I think that that Kiyosaki framework really helped me understand and be, and I'm very brutally honest with people I coach. They say they're entrepreneurs. I'm like, no, you're not. You are self-employed. You're a self-employed startup. That's a very different scenario than a business owner. Um, a business owner has loans. They've got loans from the bank or they're raising venture capital for their startup. But if you're a coach or a speaker, you're a blogger, you're an author, you're self-employed. Because if you stop working, money's going to come to a crawl. And you have to start to figure out how to get OP, other people involved, mm-hmm. other people's time, OPT, and other people's energy, OPE. That's what you need. And then they will make you money. That's how a real business runs ultimately. So I hold that to my sta- myself to that standard too. I tell myself a lot, don't get too puffed up. You're not running a Burger King here, you know? So, so get to it, you know, F- figure out how to systemize this. So that's kind of where I, I, I look at how I look at all that. Well, and a lot of times I think people forget that. They, they get so involved in what it is that they're doing that they, they kind of, they miss that, you know, but 
So, Mike, you have uh, a, a weekly podcast that that comes out. You are the brand, and uh, I would just like to share that with our our listeners to let them know what your podcast is, and that there's quite a quite a bit of knowledge and understanding that's gone in there. A lot of the guests that you have on are are pretty interesting people that have uh, unique backgrounds. Let's say let's say that. Um, and uh, but I've walked away myself. Um, with a better understanding of some things based on that. So uh, one of my favorite episodes that you just had uh, in, in recent weeks was where you were talking about masterminds. And that again was because I, I've gone through your mastermind course. And so that's of interest to me, but um, there was a lot of valuable information in there. So I would encourage everyone to uh, look you up in, in your podcast and to, and to listen. Thank you. Um, Mike, if you and I were to get together the next time you come out here to Denver and uh, we have lunch and, and you're reading, I know you're always reading or you're into different materials and things like that. What would you tell me as a leader is something that I've got to look at or something I need to read? Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to pull this book here. <laughs> this is called, this is a see, little look, woo-woo. You got a book right there. I mean, yeah. It's called Quantum Success. You can see how worn out it is. <laughs> and I read this in a month. I read a chapter a day. Wow. I've highlighted so much stuff in here. So I believe very much that like the, the journey that I've been on over the last couple of years has really been a lot about energy. Mm. Um, not just like how energetic you feel, but like energy i mean like what einstein was talking about cannot be created or destroyed matter right yeah um energy like ego all that and i'm like there's science behind it i and i hear all these people talking about like positivity and buy a crystal and i'm like what (laughs) right and i for the long longest time for the longest time i've wanted to find something that like some sort of book that could like make sense or solidify by this jello that is the woo-woo world right <laughs> and especially coming from a christian background like I, i've been around spiritual i'm comfortable talking about spiritual things i'm com- comfortable with the mystery of it but all these people on instagram or wherever they talk about this or that woo-woo stuff right i'm like someone's got to have written a book on this <laughs> and um i found this book has been a lady named sandra ann taylor quantum success yeah. Um, my friend Lauren Victoria, uh, recommended it to me and she's in the word quantum jumped out at me because I didn't see a lot of people use that word. Hmm. And so I bought this, it's a New York times bestseller. Uh, it's, it's quite a few years old now. I think it's, it was printed in the early two thousands. Um, and it's just helped so much. It's helped me reframe energy positive. Like what in the world is an affirmation? I hear people talk about that all the time. I don't know what an affirmation. This book's got affirmations in every chapter. I actually have made, um, well, I haven't made them, but I have strongly recommended every one of my mastermind groups to read this. Hmm. And we have opened up in our in our channels, our forums, a channel dedicated to discussing this book. Wow. That's how much I believe in it. That's awesome. And so it's, you know, it doesn't take me away from my, you know, prior beliefs or anything like that it's i feel like it expands it even more um and i'm starting to i've started reading it again because it takes me a while to get this stuff through my thick head 
<laughs> so that'll be it, man. Quantum success, Sander and Taylor. Um, I love it. It's incredible. Um, I haven't checked out her other work. This is all I need right now. Yeah. And um, it's it's terrific. It's, it's really helped me. So that would be my recommendation. That's awesome. I will have uh, a link in the show notes for people to be able to find that book. Uh, so if they're wanting to take a look at it and they want to do that, then they can do that. But um, as we end, I just want to take a moment, Mike, and acknowledge you and just let you know um, how grateful we are for the things that you do. Uh, you've uh, touched a lot of people's lives with your leadership and the things that you've done with your book. Um, you are the brand. I, I was fortunate enough to be here when you did the live live uh, show here in uh, Denver, and I met uh, quite a quite a few people. And there was a couple of them that uh, made an impact in my life, and mm-hmm. that would not have happened if I hadn't have. Uh, gone to that and uh, had that opportunity to listen to you. Um, So I just want to thank you for all that it is that you do and let you know that it does matter and that there are people like myself and others that appreciate what you do. Thank you, man. That means a lot. Thank you. Well, Mike, I appreciate your time and having you here and I look forward to having you again on another episode of the language of leadership, but until the next time, thanks for being here. Anytime. My pleasure, Chuck. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Language of Leadership. This podcast is dedicated to help you navigate your leadership journey. You will learn the language and skills you need to be the leader you want to be. Remember, the language of leadership is an art. It is why your team wants to follow you. Take care.